You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another edition of the M Squared TechCast. We've got a good lineup for you today. We've got uh, an entrepreneur manufacturing um, facial monitors for the era of COVID for security. Uh, we've got uh, a longtime guest, Jason Rasnick, the CEO of Benzinga, talking about uh, the latest in fintech, uh, which he's a pioneer in. And then our second half hour, uh, we're going to be talking with our favorite infectious disease expert, Fred Brown, um, about um, travel over the holidays and a little bit about uh, the virus vaccines and some stuff that you want to pay attention to. But uh, Mike, why don't you start right now with, uh, with Rudy? Yeah, Rudy. Actually, Rudy doesn't manufacture the monitors. He's a distributor for them, and he installs them. His company uh, is called Yes. Well, his company is called Securitech. And uh, as a disclaimer, he is one of my sponsors on the Michigan Marijuana Report. Uh, and uh, but I thought that uh, his product was actually reaches far beyond just the cannabis community. This is something that any business or employer probably would want to install. Uh, because it will also, uh, you know, pe- keep people out of your business who may or may not be infected. So why don't you describe a little bit, Rudy, on how this device, device works? Uh, hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, this device uh, particularly is a facial scanner or a uh, it will also read your palm. So it will determine what your temperature is. And depending on the settings and how it's configured, can release a door to allow you in or not allow you in. It can set off an alarm to let somebody know that you have a fever. Uh, It can notify somebody if you're wearing a mask or not. You can program it to not let somebody in the door if they're not wearing a mask so the door won't release. So this this product's uh, fairly popular. Uh, It's very popular now, not only in the cannabis space, but schools, uh, I recently was in Las Vegas. Every hotel casino has them at every single entrance. Uh, the temperature is your first line of defense to seeing if somebody's sick, whether they're COVID sick or have a, you know, not just a flu. Uh, it's just trying to keep uh, keep your your establishment healthy, whether it's your customers, whether it's your employees. Um, and the cannabis space has uh, jumped on board with this, and uh, I've had multiple uh, clients, whether they're a cultivator or a provisioning center, or even a lab recently, uh, who's asked to install them. Uh, and the cultivators and labs want to make sure their employees are healthy before they let them in. So they go to the employee entrance, they have their face scanned, it makes sure that they're wearing their mask, that releases the door. And uh, now they're in their uh, workplace. Uh, The provisioning centers are doing it a little bit differently. They're making employees use it also, but they're also putting it in the foyer so that customers walk in and they get scanned or they can read their palm if they're not comfortable with the picture of their face and check their temperature. And if that is where it's supposed to be, then there's no issues and they allow them in and they can do their shopping. So it's uh, it's pretty neat technology. I think that we're going to be installing a lot of them, not just in the cannabis space, but retail space. Uh, we have grocery stores that are using the same type of technology, but on a larger scale with some cameras, not, not something that you walk up to. So even grocery stores uh, that you walk into, there's thermal cameras checking your temperature. Somebody walks in with an extremely high fever, they're going to ask you to leave. Huh. I wasn't aware of that. I, I shop at Myers and I go real early in the morning when there's very few people in there. But I but they make you wear a mask to walk in. But I wasn't I didn't realize they were also doing a thermal scan. Yeah, a lot a lot of grocery stores are doing that. Uh, I know Kroger's is testing it right now. We've helped them through the process. 
uh, I mean, I think it's the what it's going to be for a while here, you know. Well, even, you know, once we get the vaccine situation under control, hopefully sometime next year, there's a lot of talk about there's still going to be this sort of fear of this for years to come. And so this may be something that is the new normal. Yeah, I mean, I don't there's there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to jump on uh, the vaccine bandwagon right away. Right. So those people uh, you still got to kind of watch out for and make sure that they're healthy. I don't think anybody knows what the right or wrong thing to do is at this point. No. Yeah, and this is this isn't going to be the last virus either. I mean, we're we're going to be facing more of these down the road. I think, from what I've heard, anyway. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I you know, uh, I'll give myself a plug. Today's my birthday. I oh know right, yeah. Happy wish birthday. me happy, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah. But 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 in my forty-four years, I haven't seen anything like this before. And and you guys might have a few years on me, and I don't think you've seen anything like this before either. So I wouldn't rush to say we're going to keep having uh pandemics or something of this nature just because we've never seen it you know and uh i'm hoping well, we, we've, we've had i mean we've had pandemics before but they've been handled better uh, we had no, there were the more ones. epidemics pan and this is yeah. first i think the first time since the spanish flu 100 years ago of course now dave phillips was alive back then so we should probably talk to him about it right so <laughs> i'm kidding dave but we did, we did have, off here. <laughs> we did have Zika. We did have SARS. I mean, you know, so so this is, yeah. you know, this is something that that does pop up from time to time. So yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I I I'm familiar with both of those, but I don't remember anybody being nervous about it. I don't remember anybody wearing masks, and I don't remember schools and restaurants being shut down or business. Not being to this thrown. degree, that's for sure. Yeah, yep. All right, so the impact on the businesses is pretty tough. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Secure Tech in general. I know I met you through the cannabis world because we have Michigan Marijuana Report, but you do a lot of other things for the non-cannabis industry. And since this audience here is more business and technology, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I founded this company about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, we, uh, I've been in the business for 20 years. So obviously way before cannabis was around or legal, uh, we have customers. We do work for Ford Motor Company. We do stuff for DTE. Uh, we do a lot of retail, hotels, apartments. Uh, so we do alarms, cameras, access control, low voltage wiring, uh, really a one-stop shop when it comes to security and low voltage uh, installations. And certainly in the cannabis space, uh, for those that are not familiar, everything has to be under the video camera. I mean, you, uh, the, the MR, the uh, the marijuana regulatory agency requires everything to be filmed, no matter what you're doing in the cannabis space, right? Yeah, anywhere there's product, there has to be it has to be recorded. So uh, if the if the marijuana is moving through that hallway or that office or that room or whatever it is has to be recorded. All your entries and exits have to be recorded. So definitely from a security standpoint, they're very large systems. They're very complex uh, and they're required to open up. So you can't, you can't get away without doing it. But your security goes beyond video. Why don't you talk a little bit about all the other stuff that you guys do? I know you've got a big outfit there. we, We do burglar alarms and fire alarms. Everybody's familiar with them. They've, you know, became a lot more fancy, we'll call it. Uh, nowadays, your burglar alarms for your house have a lot of home automation stuff. So you can unlock and lock doors and turn lights on and off and, you know, do all kinds of neat stuff with your home alarm system. So we do that for uh, homes and businesses. We do fire alarms for businesses. We do a lot of access control. So that's the card reader, the key fob that allows you into doors. Uh, we, we install thousands and thousands of doors every year. Uh, for all kinds of businesses, whether it's banks, whether it's cannabis, whether it's grocery stores, doctor's offices, um, apartments, hotels, all that good stuff. So we do a lot of access control and then we do a lot of wiring. You know, uh, if you're opening up a new office and you have 50 cubicles, that all needs wiring. You know, you know not everybody's a big fan of going wireless across the board. So we do a lot of low voltage wiring. Uh, so really our, our schedule, our project, uh, schedules all kinds of businesses every day, all day, big and small, everything from a few hundred dollars to a half a million dollar project is always on our schedule every week. 
So you started out um, in the business, you said 20 years ago, and this company's 10 years old. Were you with one of the big security companies before that? And, and if so, sort of when did the entrepreneurship bug bite and you decided you wanted to go out on your own? Well, I always had the bug. It's in, it's in, the, family, uh, in the family gene. But uh, I learned the business. I needed a job a long time ago, and uh, there was a security company hiring. And I remember knowing a couple uh, sales guys there, and I knew they did okay. So I, uh, they were hiring at the time. I was looking through the Sunday newspaper, like that's how we used to get jobs, right? And, uh, and I saw them hiring, and, and I got into the business, and I loved it. I just thought it was the neatest thing uh, ever. You, you feel great about what you do. The, you, know, you have people counting on you to keep their employees safe, their families safe. They trust you. And uh, from that time, you know, I learned the business in and out, and I decided to go out on my own. A lot of the guys that I work with work for me now. So I've had the same guys uh, forever. I got a great crew of uh, installers and managers that that really do a great job. And uh, so I know that the cannabis space is pretty new for you. Uh, When you first started out 10 years ago, what was it? The banks and and, and, uh, doctor's office and things. That is how you got started. Yeah, you know, banks, doctors' offices, small retail, car dealerships. Uh, you know, in Michigan, you got a lot of the manufacturing, the automotive. So we we're able to. Uh, it, that's what you went after back then, right? The the big customer was anything automotive. So uh, you know, we had a lot of automotive customers, and uh, then you get into utilities and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I was never one to have one type of customer. You know. Uh, we have little tiny subways, uh, or a small mom, pa coffee shop to, you know, very, very large customers. And we treat them all the same way. Matt. All right. So, uh, um, I, I guess, you know, you talk about feeling great about keeping people safe. Um, the, the business has expanded though now, right? You're, uh, um, you're, you're involved in, in the cannabis industry. How, how did that start? How did you uh, happen to get involved in that? One of our customers uh, was the first licensed cannabis uh, cultivator in the state. So Ooh. High Life Farms was our customer for the owner's other businesses. Uh, he was in the car dealership gotcha. business, the motorcycle business. And he came to me years ago and said, hey, Rudy, I'm going to get into this space. My kids want to get into it, but I'm going to need your help. I need to figure it out what's needed. So early, early, early in the cannabis world, uh, we sat down, we sat down with the state. We looked at what other states were doing. We kind of helped write uh, the rules and regulations based on what was working and what wasn't working. And uh, we got High Life Farms licensed. And when that happened, since it was the first licensed facility, a bunch of other customers jumped on board. They would do tours of that site. The owner is a, a wonderful guy. He lets anybody walk through there and do a tour of the facility. So, uh, we were able to take other cultivators, other people in the cannabis space, walk through there, and then they saw what we did, and uh, it was uh, all over from there. Since then, we've sold over well over a hundred, and I think we're probably one ten, one hundred fifteen different licensed licensed cannabis businesses right now. Oh, so okay. we uh, we definitely do more cannabis security than anybody else in the state, and uh, and I try to say that we do it better than anybody else. Okay, well, we're going to let you say that, and uh, now we've got about a minute left, so this is what we call the shameless plug. So go ahead and tell people how they can reach out to you if they want more information. All right, I'm going to say two things. Number one, we're in a crazy time now, and you guys got to be safe. People are walking into your businesses wearing masks. You don't know if they're trying to be safe or they're trying to rob you, so you got to put <laughs> a lot of things in place to make sure that you and your staff are safe. Uh, that's number one. Number two, you can reach me at uh, Rudy, R-U-D-Y at securatech.com. That's S-E-C-U-R-A-T-E-C-H.com. You can call the office anytime, 877-929-2288. You can ask them to transfer you right over to me. I always grab my phone. And uh, you can check out our website at www.securatech.com. All right. Okay. Rudy Petros, CEO of Securatech. Thanks for being with us today. We'll be back in just a minute with another segment of the M Squared TechCast. For right now, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And you're watching MITechnews.tv. Waiting for the music.
You might have to edit that. Otherwise, we're oh, going to look goofy. Okay, I think we're I think we're out. Uh, all right, thanks, Rudy. I'll make sure you yeah. get. I, I, I'll send you the MP4 file that you can use on your website. And we'll we'll, do we'll thanks, send you guys. the edited clip. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Have a great one. Happy holidays. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's Matt Roush. And Mike Brennan. And we're back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast. A frequent guest on our program is with us here today, Jason Rasnick, CEO of Benzinga. And uh, he's going to give us a glimpse of fintech in 2021, what's the latest and greatest, and also um, updating his coverage of cannabis businesses, continuing the theme from our first segment. So, Mike, why don't you ask a question or two? Jason, my friend. So how are you doing today? How are you, Mike? I like your jacket. Oh, well, thank you. I'm trying to go with the Christmas theme, you know, holidays and all that rah-rah <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah. Can't go yeah. Anywhere. I'm just amusing myself because I can't visit anybody these days, right? <laughs> or go to bars like we used to. But anyway, yeah, so uh, I uh, actually a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody send me some information on the fintech outlook for 2021. And I thought, why would I bother with anyone other than you to be able to provide that information? So let's start with, I always assume people don't, there's some people in the audience have never heard of our companies, our guests before. So why don't you talk a little bit about what Benzinga does, and then we'll kind of go on from there. Yeah, I mean, Benzinga... Um, was founded originally to um, give information about smaller companies that were public companies, 300 million market cap to 800 million. Um, but we morphed more into like financial news, cannabis news, all types of business related news for millennials. So if you're like using like Robinhood or Ameritrade or whoever, we're providing content and data to those platforms. So we're like the associated press of the stock market. Okay. And then you uh, started picking up cannabis coverage uh, before it was legal in Michigan, you were covering some of the other States. If I recall, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Definitely not. We're not focused on Michigan. It's um, we, we, we help the, the, our focus is helping to connect and bending is focused to help connect investors to companies. So we've helped, we didn't have, we didn't get a piece of it, but we helped like introduce over $150 million raised in the cannabis community. And the reason that happened was there was a hole in the market where, companies weren't able to meet investors. Well, what Benzinga is good at is we have a lot of investors that read our content. And so we're like, hey, well, why don't we put these events together? And so our events were like in you know Miami, Colorado, a bunch of Chicago. And yeah, the crowd was the first place. And then, um, and so yeah, we cover it more from the investing and the, and the public company perspective. I mean, there's all the cannabis companies right now, guys, are like taking off because all this legislation to approve it. New Jersey got approved. And so there's a lot of cannabis companies that are really performing well, well right now and, and actually have earnings. So it's uh, one of those long-term things. Just like in the dot-com era, there's going to be winners and losers. And you want to try to bet on the winners. I mean, I, I was the fool that sold Amazon stock at $10 a share. In 2001, I have, I have it on my phone, a screenshot, $10 a share and, and, uh, and uh, $2 commissions from the brokerage. From the brokerage. And uh, that $10 a share that I sold Amazon for, I think I got, I think I got 2600 bucks back for that. that. If I never sold that, if I forgot about that account, that would be worth $3.2 million today. $2,600 oh, $3.2 I swear to God. It's on my phone. I keep it on. It's a, it's a screenshot on my phone. That's, I just found it like a year ago. That's the funny thing about the stock market is you're never quite sure which of these are going to really take off. And way back when, when I first started MI Tech News, uh, I was visiting my, my daughter out in Seattle. So I stopped by at that time, the only Amazon warehouse just when they were doing books. That's all they did was books back in them days. So I stopped by, looked around, I thought, 
eh, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> I think I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I had an online textbook store when I was in college at Michigan, and Borders was like interested in buying it. But I'm like, oh, I'll build the next thing. Yeah, I should have done sold it to Borders. But um, yeah, Amazon, I sold it $10. $2,100 I got, which would be $3 million today, or more than that, actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, people always ask, what's the first thing you do if you ever got your hands on Doc's DeLorean? That would be number one for me. So, <laughs> Got it. Yep, I agree. I, I, I agree. It's Sports Almanac, I'm with you. I'm with you on that, for sure. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, let's first define fintech. Again, people may not be familiar with the term. How would you define it? So, so I gave a... I mean, I may pull it up, but Oxford Dictionary has the quote from me as definition of fintech. Really? And, and so, yeah, so Oxford somehow took an article I wrote for U.S. News and they, um, you know, have me as the quote. And my quote is to define fintech. Let's, uh, I'm going to pull it up right now. But I mean, fintech at the end of the day and the way I, it enables it, it, it's, technolo- it's technology to improve your financial overall health. You can look at your phone and see how much assets you have. You can make a stock trade for zero cost. You can, um, you know, book travel. I mean, a lot of these things before that where the information was one-sided, where you didn't really get all access to information. Now with a click of a button, you could switch bank accounts. And at the end of the day, I think you're going to have a relationship with your an app. And then in, um, in, um, you know, inside uh, the app, there'll be different tools. And and so, and yeah, Merriam-Webster's actually. So Merriam-Webster, the definition of the app of fintech is, and this was my, me, my quote, the impact that fintech is making throughout our economy is still in its infancy stages. Fintech is really just about innovating and bringing solutions to the banking, lending, and capital markets. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, it's well, being, being a, quoted in the dictionary is not $3 million, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, the day I was showed up there, it was crazy. Like the, I got a ton of emails that day. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, I, I would still say FinTech is kind of uh, in its infancy right now. It's still developing, but let, let's talk a little about where it is this year at the, at the end of 2020. And we're, what you see happening or developing next year, maybe we could throw in some of that cryptocurrency stuff too. Uh, it, that market is still pretty, I mean, there, a lot of people are talking about how secure it is, uh, that, that maybe we should go in that direction, but th- that's a separate question. So let's just talk about where are we today with fintech? I mean, fintech is, I would say, still second, third inning. I think a lot of Things need to keep playing out. A lot of innovation still needs to happen um, in terms of um, why is my interest. If you, have, if you have savings and like you can't get the best interest rate, you have to take it's still not easy to go open a new account. And then your credit gets hurt when you apply for a new a new credit card or close it like the, the asymmetry in terms of like, you know, your credit being hurt by doing certain things like that is I, I think needs a change, but I, I, there's, a, there's again, a lot of tools coming out there that allow you to, you know, give your, uh, your kids allowances using FinTech, using, um, there's a you know, company that you that do your chores and you get allowances. So there's a lot of innovation that's happened in the early stages, but now it needs to be cleaner, more user-friendly, and, you know, have that Apple-type experience to the space. But a lot of it, the issue is it has to get uh, caught up with regulations. So the government is going to change how they regulate how some of these things function and it'll make it easier to get, you know, dollars for lending. It'll make it easier for investment. I mean, you know, when you're raising money, there's probably easier ways to do it through financial technology that are just aren't out there yet. So what would you say? I was just curious about you, your coverage of the cannabis business. What's different about coverage of that as opposed to other types of investments, as opposed to the other stuff that you do, starting with smaller companies, um, you know, and, and branching into sort of financial information for millennials? What's What's been different about covering the can, cannabis industry? The cannabis industry, you know, since, since it's not legal on a federal level, the banking part of it is much harder. And the other part is people, when we started covering it, looked down upon it, looked down why you're covering this thing. And now... Your neighbors are in the cannabis space. So, uh, you know, it's an approach like when I would do an event, my mom's like, oh, my God, why are you doing cannabis? You know, but now it's like, a re- you know, a real thing. 
And um, it, so it's, it's, uh, it's definitely one of these things that was looked at in a negative way. And I think now it's becoming a way more accepted norm. Um, and that differs a lot from, you know, that differs a lot from FinTech. You know what I mean? Um, so that, I would say that'd be one major change. What's your outlook for 2021? I mean, uh, for FinTech, uh, continuing to evolve and grow, lots of innovative things coming on the market. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's going to be more consolidation. I think there'll be acquisitions. I think that, you know, you're going to have, you're gonna, instead of having so many things, so many different apps, you're going to have a little bit more consolidation where you get a bunch of tools in one app. I mean, there's a lot of competitors that have come up in the brokerage space. I think you'll see them add new assets to it. I think this Bitcoin thing is actually here to stay. I became a Bitcoin believer maybe late to the game, or I don't know if it's late, but it's it's confusing. But this thing is rocketing right now, um, and it's you know it's a way to not have your currency you know tied to the dollar. And I think that thing is here to stay because the companies like MicroStrategy, PayPal, and others like Square have you know bought Bitcoin and they're using that as a hedge in their business. So I think some of these more innovative new frontiers are going to happen. You just have to be careful because when you don't know, you don't know. And it's like, I always say like, take a little bit and explore it. But I, I think 2021 will be the year of like consolidation, aggregation, where more services will be inside one app. And then the next, the latter part of 2021 will be actually human touch. People are going to, I think, going to want to talk to humans again and not just do it through an app and get advice and like, what is a 529 plan? What should I do? Because a lot of the stuff you read on the internet, you don't know if people are biased with their writing, if it's the truth or all that stuff. So I think to the, you know, the latter part will be a little bit more, you know, consumer talking to consume, talking to the company versus just using the app. Speaking of consolidation, the fact that there are a lot of little companies out there doing this, uh, Reminds me of what I've written about a few times called HT Mobile Apps. Uh, it's out of the Ann Arbor Brighton area, and they do uh, financial apps for credit unions. They specialize in that, and they have products for kids and adults where you actually earn rewards, where you actually earn you know money into your savings account for taking uh, financial literacy courses, which is I think especially important for kids. Now it, that strikes me as the kind of company you think might get consolidated into somebody else, but. Are there like, as there are in uh, other industries, are there like venture-backed consolidators and acquirers out there yet or not? Yes, there, there are. There are like um, these Fiserv's uh, of the world. Today, we had S&P Global buying IHS market. You know, they're trying to become oh, really? the debt. Yeah, it's, a, one of, it's the biggest M&A deal of the year, over $40 billion, actually. That's a big wow. one. But yeah, IHS, IHS market was sold to S&P Global. And um and that's a data play. But uh, yes, there are. That, that You said that company in Ann Arbor is called HT Apps? HT Mobile Apps, yeah. I, lo- I love it. I mean, I'm all about financial literacy, so I love it. And it doesn't mean that you have to get consolidated. It's just, you know, it's just like where if you're going to go sell to credit unions and you have this financial literacy tool, does your offering to credit unions better by being with a larger player? That's really what the question is going to be that I think. Um, but I also think there's room for the smaller companies that are more nimble to compete. And I mean, the financial literacy thing is still, I mean, it's still that is in its infancy. So if you find your niche, I think you'll be all right. But if, you know, if you don't, then you have to like look at playing with the big players and and it's, and it's hard because how do you get a hold of them? How do you write to, you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's not, it's not easy. I mean, Benzinga for our, our company we had our biggest year ever by far and like where like I would say a bigger player would probably be interested in us, but like, how do they know we've had our biggest year? I mean, I, if I, I mean, maybe we'll go out there and put some, you know, media. No, out you're having too much fun to sell out to the big guys. <laughs> right. You know, I don't Yeah. I mean, I, no, we're not just sort of looking to solve problems, but it's just like, you know, how does that whole thing? So that's an to me, it's a FinTech opportunity, a better marketplace for, big companies, small companies to communicate a potential strategic acquisitions. Right now it happens through bankers. All right. We're going to have to leave it at that. We're out of time in this segment. So this is the shameless plug. So go ahead. And how can people find out more about Benzinga? You can email me at jason at Benzinga.com or follow me on Twitter at Jason Rasnick or follow Benzinga on Twitter or just go to 
Benzinga.com or Benzinga Pro, which is our subscription platform. I thank you guys for having me. You guys, you guys are the best. You guys are the best. And, um, you know, it's a, it, these businesses can be tough ups and downs and all around. Um, and so it's like this year, like when people got home, they started trading more. So we had more readers, but all these things, it's like, you just got, you know, continue to try to build value and find those opportunities, I guess, you know? Absolutely. Thanks very much, Jason Rasnick, CEO of Benzinga, for being a guest today. We'll be back in just a minute with another uh, segment of the M-Squared TechCast. Stay tuned for Fred Brown, infectious disease expert. And for right now, this is Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And you're listening to the MITechnews.tv M-Squared podcast. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Vaccine, so I might be a little bit punchy today. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll try to keep you on your toes. We just come out of commercial. Right. So uh, well, why don't you introduce it, okay. it's, yeah, Matt. Okay. It's Matt Roush and Mike Brennan. He's over and there. And Mike Brennan, yeah. And we're, uh, we're doing right. the M Squared TechCast today with Fred Brown, our infectious disease expert, who is uh, busier than the proverbial one-armed paper hanger right now. Um, talking uh, to a whole bunch of states and the incoming Biden administration about COVID and our responses to it. So, Fred, first of all, uh, welcome to the welcome to the program, and we're glad to have a half hour of your time. Thanks. Oh, again. it's great to be back. I, I I appreciate the chance to talk to everyone, and uh, hopefully, I give you some, some helpful information. We're going to send you over a case of five-hour energy uh, so that you can get through all this stuff that you've been doing here. And that is a local product. One of, it's right. one of our Indian-American friends actually developed that here in Detroit. So we're buying local, right? That's right. right? That's, right. That's so, a good thing. I, I encourage everyone to do that right now because a lot of local industries are having and businesses are having trouble. So if you can find a local restaurant you want to support, local bookstore, local, local uh, retail shop, that, that's a great chance to do it right now, especially if they have uh, you know, curbside support. Oh, yeah. Oh, so one of the things that uh, we talked about while we we're talking about during the commercial is uh, I took your advice and didn't do the family Thanksgiving thing in Grand Rapids this year. Just cooked my own turkey. I'm eating lots of leftovers this week. Uh, but I was in the minority, it seems. I read that a million people flew over Thanksgiving and six million people traveled oh, it was, over it was Thanksgiving. More than that. I heard 70 million people were traveling when you take 70 million, oh, 70 million? out of 320. Maybe, yeah, that's, maybe like a bad. And, Go ahead. and that's that's like half what it normally is. But what does that mean? What, what are we going to see in the next week or two? Well, uh, it's not going to be good. And of course, we did predict this in our models that, you know, between Christmas and, and, and what happens is people you know, go to the big event uh, in, a, in, a, in about 10 days, they become ill. Uh, and then about 20 days after that, they uh, kind of create illness in the next generation of who, 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 people who they've contacted. And usually about five weeks beyond that, then you start to get the super spread um, uh, and Sadly, that's right at about Christmas, and so mm. we're predicting over three. <laughs> no, it's it's just uh, as I think I think Tony Fauci said called it a a surge and a surge, and and he that 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 pretty much describes what we've got right now. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's just hard to stay away. You know, we we're, we're close that we we've got the vaccine. We're going to launch the vaccine uh, on the twelfth. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure the FDA advisory committee is going to get the go ahead, and uh, I think on the twelfth we'll start seeing movement, uh, and we'll see forty million uh, doses being shipped and twenty million people being vaccinated in the next, uh, you know, three to four weeks. And I assume the first ones to get it would be first responders, healthcare people, people like that, right? Well, we're having a little bit of an argument over that, actually. Um, so it turned out that the that the 
a vaccine was a little bit more efficacious than we thought it was going to be. And when you have a super efficacious vaccine, the way to sell, the way to save the most lives is actually to in, in, uh, inject the people who are most at risk and most, uh, you know, most likely to die if they catch the disease, which are the comorbid uh, elderly, uh, elderly with comorbid conditions, I should say. Uh, things like, you know, if you're over 75 with cardiovascular disease, are a smoker and, and, and have diabetes um, oh. and have body weight of, <laughs> That's kind of like the higher. trifecta there, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, then you should. Like, I guess I, I guess I need to take up smoking again. Then increase my chances of getting, this, <laughs> getting the vaccine early. <laughs> oh uh, well, uh, sadly, just three of those uh, factors is enough for you to get on the on the hot list. Um, yeah. So. Um, it, and so, so that if it's super efficacious, that's what we want to do first. We were expecting kind of 50 to 70% efficaciousness because of these, these te vaccines technologies haven't been tested yet uh, completely or haven't been rolled out yet completely uh, to populations this large for uh, coronavirus, which is the first time we've had a, a vaccine for this disease. So we thought 50 to 70%. If it's 50 to 70%, the people you want to uh, vaccinate first are actually the healthcare workers and the uh, and and your and your high transmitting uh, essential workers, and mm -hmm. so now we've got this problem where half of us who've done a lot of modeling say, "Gosh, you know, we should probably change our our sequencing a little bit and move to um, a, a group of uh, uh, move to the." I, I can even show you if if you want. I can I can probably even I I, I, I can even show you the analysis that was done. Sure. Of, if you're interested, I, oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I can sure. look that up um, uh, quickly, and I, I, I'll show you exactly what we were thinking about. Uh, it's going to take me just a second to find it. If that's all right for you, I will I will do that, and, uh, and I'll show you exactly what the documents we were looking at to make this decision looked like. Um, let me get that for you. If I can hopefully open this up and uh, get it for you. One second. So, tell me what any, any other questions while I'm looking for this. Uh, we can we can get into well, it. Well, Christmas. Well, all the holidays. You got Christmas. You got Hanukkah. You got all sorts of end of the month. They're all co coincide. Same advice, right? Just stay with your immediate nuclear family, I guess, right, or something yeah, like yeah. that. Sadly, uh, you know, COVID does not. I'll play favorites with regard to religion and 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 doesn't take any holidays. <laughs> so as a friend of mine told me, does does not observe holidays. And so uh, yeah, um, you know, uh, you need to uh, yeah, you need to uh, uh, think that through pretty carefully. Uh, and the trick would be uh, either you're one of the lucky ones who can get a vaccine, uh, you know, within you know in the first uh, 10, 15 days of rollout. Um, but even then, you only have to have one vaccine when you need a, a sequence of two. Um, and uh, or you can try to actually self quarantine. You know, first you test yourself about eighteen days ahead of time. Uh, then you self self isolate uh, for about four, ten to fourteen days, if possible. You take your trip. You take a, a test immediately after that trip, and then you take another test eight days after that trip. Uh, and then, if you're if you're if you're if you're, if you're at your location, haven't really um, you know interacted with anyone, it's extreme. At that point, it is safe to 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 uh, to, um, uh, to see uh, and visit with people. And if you're taking uh, tests constantly, you probably uh, don't have to do that second. Uh, that 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 first fourteen day quarantine ahead of uh, ten to fourteen day quarantine ahead of travel. So that would uh, you know that uh, if you are in that category or if you're in a vaccinated category, then I'd feel safe. Otherwise, I'd stay home. Yeah, with with your immediate family unit. So let me um, let me share with you what we looked at. This is how to how we thought about allocating vaccines. Uh, uh, and this is Dr. Dooling. She's one that she and, and Beth are the, are our fearless leaders. Um, and you can see we're basically thinking, trying to balance three big areas. One is the science, the second is implementation, the third is ethics. And we said, you know, given the science, the ethics, and the implementation, which are the first people who we should, uh, you know, uh, vaccinate? And so we looked at, you know, the science, and we went through all the papers, uh, and we looked at the implementation, the feasibility of, of doing this, this piece. And basically, and then finally, we look at the ethics. And you can see that in the phase one vaccination, this was uh, the result of the August ACIP meeting. It was reconfirmed by the National Academy of Medicine meeting. You can see that the high-risk medical conditions, the healthcare personnel, the essential workers, adults over 65, 
uh, you can start to see the size of these populations throughout the United States that we're trying to affect. So you want to try to get an intersection of some of those things, especially the uh, so the adults over 65 and the high-risk medical patients. You see, that's a that's a pretty big uh, group of people, and the people who are taking care of them and and and, and supporting them as essential workers. Once all those things start to overlap, that's where you want to be uh, with your first round. And so we, you know, we, we defined all these groups and we said how big they were. And then we looked at the science and we said, you know, here is, uh, is, is who's going to be most, you know, most impacted. And so here are the results of some of the, of some of the science uh, with, with incidents, with mortality rates of all the different groups, who was most affected. Um, here's long-term care facility uh, uh, populations. Then we started to look at uh, hospitalization rates with all these different groups because we were worried about whether we were going to start to, or whether we we're going to start to fill in, you know, overflow all of our hospitals. We thought that could be possible around Christmas time. We're going to get to that that magic number of of you know kind of get it. We could get up to as we certainly will hit three thousand a day, I believe, of new cases, and we make it as high as five thousand mm. peaks, which should be. Just a, a real challenge for some of our hospitals to keep up if it's, if it's how they concentrated. And you can start to see the death rate among the different people, uh, congregate settings. We took a look at the skilled nurses. We also looked at prisons and other uh, other congregate settings. And so then we modeled everything. We said, look, you know, if we if we model this, here's here are the different uh, things that are going to happen uh, and, the, and and the incident rates. So. Uh, if your incident rates are increasing, you're going to have a bigger uh, impact uh, and, and delta with the over age 65, like I said. So as you start to get higher and higher incidents, as you're able to reduce that transmission uh, with the vaccine, all of a sudden you're going to get a much better impact on the on the elderly. But it's, it's, uh, now originally, our, if, if you do this randomly, the, the number is eight times. Here it's only three times. Uh, so some of our models weren't exactly the same, but you know, we're in the same ballpark. Then we looked at averted deaths. And again, you can start to see you're starting to get significant death aversion by about 4x uh, here uh, with, uh, with uh, uh, incident rising, incident falling, uh, if, depending on what the vaccine impact is, right? Uh, then finally, you look at population-wide averted deaths if you have an actual disease-blocking vaccine. And this is actually what we believe we have. We think we have a transmission blocking vaccine. And you can say here, uh, again, the change is well over threefold. Oh, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's over threefold. Uh, not well over, but you know, it's, it's over threefold. And so we thought, and I thought based on this, we should be focusing on the over age, uh, over age 65 um, uh, uh, and, and uh, healthcare workers. Um, but you can see overall, the group said, no, it's, it's a pretty much the same. <laughs> it was statistically significant in my estimation, but not the uh, the whole group voted. Um, uh, we all voted, you know, uh, confidentially before the meeting. And then here's the intent to receive the vaccines. So if you can get people the vaccines who are who most need, to, are they willing to take it? And you can start to see that again. We don't see that much differentiation. Um, uh, people who are generally older are willing to uh, are more likely and, and more willing to take it. But it's, it's pretty close. Uh, same thing for the kinds of people who are likely to get this, um, who wanted to get the early allocation. We sure don't want to have to start to you know, flip things around if we're trying to give things to young adults who sure, are going to take this thing at 16%. All of a sudden, you're going to have to, if, you know, every time, if, if, if <laughs> in this case, uh, what one and six are saying, I'm sorry, five and six are saying, no, I don't really want to take it now. Thank you very much. Then you have to constantly rejigger your your, your allocation. It, meanwhile, if you're at you know 25, you know one only one and four saying no, that's a little bit easier to manage. So we looked at those kinds of issues, the feasibility issues, and then you can see so feasible. So we, uh, here's the value and the feasibility of of of, of hitting everybody, and you can see that um, we thought that essential workers and adults with high risk medical conditions were going to be harder um, uh, to hit than adults age over 50, uh, 65, just because it's, uh, it's easy, they're easier to find. Easier over 65, you're not. Essential workers uh, are harder to define. There's a lot of politics involved in which the essential workers do you start to vaccinate? Do, you do the police first, fire first, and so on. And then with high, high risk medical conditions, we don't have the systems actually to tell us all the time who is the high, in the highest risk. So that's the least feasible of those. And so when you put it all together, science and implementation, you're talking about a pretty even score, right? And so what breaks the tie in our discussion, now we're going to have another meeting about this next Tuesday, but what breaks the tie is the what they call the ethics. And uh, here you can see that here are some of the issues about the ethics. And we found, we've, we, you know, there was a lot of 
feedback from people from unions and people who are essential workers who said, gosh, you know, it's not really very fair. We've got to go out and expose ourselves uh, to all sorts of high risk conditions um, when, um, when, when, you know, um, the elderly should be able to stay inside, quarantine, act, act, uh, behave appropriately and, and stay well. And so as a result of that, you can see um, that ultimately what we came down to was that this group, if you add up the pluses, the essential workers were suddenly pushed ahead of um, uh, this group. So you go A, B, C, uh, and so here's what they ultimately recommended. Uh, originally, we just had two, uh, which was the phase 1A, H, which is healthcare professionals and long-term care facility residents. And we had B, which are adults with high-risk medical conditions, adults over 65. They've inserted between those two a phase 1B uh, for education sector, food, agriculture, utility, police, firefighters, corrections officer, and transportation. So we've inserted quite a complicated group to actually get to. You know, adults with high-risk med uh, medical conditions over 65 who are in facilities are pretty easy to localize. But the essential workers, again, they're pretty dispersed. There'll be arguments between the different states and jurisdictions that we, you know, 64 different jurisdictions we're trying to send this out to. So we could have quite a challenge uh, to insert this B suddenly into, this, into the situation. So here's how the rollout could mm -hmm. look. And you can see we've added, a, uh, we've added also three weeks before we get to the general population uh, of this test. And that also is is a lot slower than we were hoping because we have now Moderna and Pfizer and possibly AstraZeneca all coming in in January, which is going to be in kind of week five period. So it'd be nice to be able to, you know, have, have this behind us and already being into phase two if we could. So anyway, those are, I hope, uh, those are some of the things that we thought about. Uh, and uh, you can see that, you know, we still have some, uh, we still have some, you know, discussion to, to, uh, to think through, but, uh, but anyway, that, that's what was on the, was on the, uh, was on the uh, table with the three vaccines that are moving forward and hopefully yeah. available in January. How many total doses are we looking at? Do you know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about you're talking exactly what we were looking at. I'll, let me show you what that looks like. If if I if you can bear with me for a second, I think I can go right to it. Uh, yes, I have it up anyway because I've been working on this all day today. Um, let's see. Uh, so it's going to look something like this. Uh, where is that? We'll get that. Here we go. This isn't the right slide. This is kind of looking at um, how we're going to roll this out with diagnostic products. The, the slide I was interested in showing you. Oh, here is here. Can you see it now? Yep. Perfect. So now this is if everything goes well and we get as many, you know, as many of the vaccines as we think we probably we could have. Here is what this whole thing looks like. Basically, what's happened is OWS or Operation Warp Speed has created these deals for us. Right. And these deals say you're going to get. Um, well, the deals actually look like this. Uh, the deals say that Pfizer is going to give us 100 million doses, and we have an option for 500 million more doses. Moderna is going to give us 100 million doses and has an option of 400 million doses. And this is over the next 18 months or so. AstraZeneca, 300 million, Johnson Johnson, and so on. So you can get a sense of the volumes of different kinds of vaccines we have contracted for. And um, they come in at different prices. They've got different levels of complexity in terms of management, management of the cold chain. Um, and, uh, and, and importantly for Johnson and Johnson, they're a single dose versus everyone else is a double dose. And we have different estimations about when things are going to move from an emergency use authorization to, um, a biological licensing application, which means it's now generally licensed for, for, for use. It's approval of the FDA versus just an emergency use authorization of the FDA. That, from that, we can, we can, we can just, you know, if everything's successful, and people are rolling out when they say they will. Then in, in January, if you take a cross-section here, for example, in December 15th today, um, you know, from December 15th to about December 28th, you'll only have Pfizer to choose from. 
as far because it'll take that much longer for Moderna to probably get approval. We think Moderna, we're going to come out tomorrow. I'm sorry, the 12th um, with uh, the 10th with an approval for Pfizer. We probably will come out on the 20th for approval of Moderna. So by by January, you know, half of your vaccines are either going to be Moderna or uh, half will be Moderna and half will be Pfizer. In February, all of a sudden AstraZeneca kicks in. Well, AstraZeneca is a really big player. They can do 3 billion doses a year. Uh, like Moderna and Pfizer, which only do two, uh, one billion each a year when mm. at, at, at full scale. AstraZeneca can do three billion now, so they're going to come in. They've they've already contracted three hundred million doses with us. They're going to be the about half of the doses you've got available probably in February. By March, J and J will be approved kind of middle of February, so J and J will be ramping up, and they actually are you know have the smallest number of uh, of, of of contracted uh, amounts. Uh, to give us because they're only a single dose. They only give us hundred million doses and then they move to free market. And that's what's sort of interesting because right now we're up here, right? CDC distributes OWS deals and the jurisdiction or your state in our case, or a tribal, or if you're, if you're part of a tribe in Michigan, they'll, they'll do that. They'll, they'll, they'll allocate based on your, based on their own ways of thinking about policy. So first the CDC says, here's the way we, here's how much you get state of Michigan. And then the state of Michigan Health and Human Services head will take on that 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 amount, and it'll probably be you know ten, uh, we're about 10, 10 million out of out of three hundred and thirty million, so it'll be you know a small percentage of the total amount that is available, three four percent. And then our job as Michigan is to distribute, right? Well, after about May June, those deals start to run out, and so all of a sudden Merck's going to come on in about May, and it won't have a deal. It can go free market right away, so you got, see all this sort of interesting mix of of a free market, an allocated market that's happening, and and, and quite a constrained market initially through April. From April to June, you've got this kind of hybrid market. From June on, it's going to become more and more and more uh, a free market uh, where people will be able to you know, buy their own vaccinations uh, vaccines, buy their the competitor of their choice should they want to or get a free one through the OWS at the time of allocation. So that's so how, the, how are they, for instance, in Michigan, how would they be distributed through doctor's offices, through pharmacies, through the military? What, you know? Yeah. So if, if you're part of the military, it'll be distributed through the military. And OWS says, you know, uh, a public as a military and public partnership uh, and private partnership uh, with uh, HHS, the military and, and, uh, you know, private companies all working together. If you're part of the state of Michigan, you're, uh, you will be told, you, you'll, what you'll do is you'll enter in your, eligibility, your, your details into an eligibility uh, uh, finder that the CDC website will, is going to put, be putting up. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interface that you've got. You say, I'm 65 years old. I've got these disease issues. I've got this and this. It's confirmed by your doctor. And then you'll be given a, basically a draft number. Right, and then you use that draft number. I had one of those before. <laughs> Congratulations, your your number seven million. Yes, uh, that was a, that was a lottery. I didn't. That <laughs> you don't want to be too high on that number. This this is a lottery where you want a low number. Exactly, yeah, you want right, a really yeah. low number. So um, yeah. so uh, so, and then you go, and then you'll be you'll be able to go to a, something called the vaccine finder, which will be on the CDC website. And you look at the vaccine finder, and it'll say you know you should go to CVS, which is right down the street. You should go to Walgreens. Right on the street. My my guess is that the vast majority of these vaccines will be carried out by the what they call multi-jurisdictional parties. Those are groups like Walgreens, CVS, and, and others. They'll, they'll have mobile capabilities. They'll be able to get into the into the towns. Um, you know, the the doctors and the, and the hospitals don't really want to have that many. Uh, vaccines being distributed in their offices because, believe it or not, these vaccinator sites they'll be doing a hundred vaccines an hour. Ooh. Yeah, you're going to have to be able, and the, the capacity we're looking for is about one percent of your total population every day. Wow, that's how much your max capacity should be. So that would be the, the military or the National Guard's involved. I live right next to a National Guard armory, so I'm all set, right? You know, so. that's right. <laughs> well, you know, I, but my guess, my and my hope is that we'll have they'll, they'll have mobile mobile units. It'll be nice if it's you know in large parking structures or big you know arenas that are covered because it's going to get snowy and cold if people are waiting because you're going to have to wait a while uh, as you do for the tests. Uh, but if we thought you know that a thousand tests a day was hard, wait till you do a thousand vaccines an hour. That's why I'm not sleeping anymore. I, I've got, I'm working day and night trying to help all these things yes. work. 
uh, but it's important work, and uh, I think people are going to be, you know, this, this can really, this is really the game changer for the, for, for, for. But the, in the meantime, nobody let your guard down, for God's sake, right? Oh gosh, you know that'd be, just be a tragedy, right? You're 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 five feet from the finish line, and you come down with COVID, uh, and you got you're, you're you're five days away from having a vaccine. So it's it's worth it's worth being a little bit patient now, uh, letting okay. letting this Christmas go. Uh, and having a great one next time, you know, and, and trying to do a little bit of work on the Zoom, try to keep the communication going, traditions going as much as you can. I think I, I mentioned I, I mentioned last week that I saw Dr. Fauci on TV, and he likened it to the cavalry is coming, so don't give up the fight until the cavalry gets there, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's worth it's worth sort of wearing a mask because uh, that's sort of the deal we've got. Yeah, if we wear a mask, so what? I, what so I, I just put together a, a you know a major what they call playbook for free for all the states. So what happened was the CDC came out and said, we want you to create a, a, a strategy for your vaccine rollouts. So these all, all 50 states came back, All the, they, we have 64 jurisdictions. They all came back and said, you know, we're going to do this and this and this. And they all you know, went with a format. And what we did is we reviewed all those states' uh, strategies uh, and reports, and we took the best from all of them. And we said, you know, here's what you really should do on day one, day two. Uh, and one of the things we tell all the states is, you know, whatever you do, don't try to launch this vaccine in the middle of a pandemic. Try to get your numbers down as much as you can. I think you know, that's what Governor Whitmer to her credit is doing, right? She's she's trying to keep, you know, we're, we're going up a, a heck of a curve as it is. But, you know, the worst thing we could do is to let that keep right on going after Christmas, right? But, you know, we want to we bend the curve back down. So in March, when you have max vaccination, you know, at full blast going, we don't create super spreader events of all kinds of people who are you know, out there trying to trying to do their best to, to get safe. Uh, so we're telling them, you know, test a lot, still wear your mask a lot, still distance if you can, uh, and, 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 and do all the hygiene that we're recommending um, uh, because I, it, it'll be worth it. You know, I think we're, we're, we're close. We're really close. I, I mean, I, saying that it's going to take us a year to roll it all out, but, but at least we're close to, to something that is, is really a backstop for the vast majority of us. So again, getting back to the holidays, all the various holidays yeah. that are coming up very quickly here at the end of the month, uh, don't do family parties and something like that. No, I know that I know the airlines are super enticing. Go ahead and you know get 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 a flight and then change it. <laughs> they don't. There's no change fee right now, and and so take advantage of that and the low prices. But but if you're going to change to something, wait till after your vaccination numbers up. We went through that last week. Uh, basically, you know, most of us will probably be vaccinated in a September November time frame. Uh, and you know, don't forget you have to go through two courses generally. Uh, so no, uh, you know. Next Thanksgiving, buy, buy your ticket because uh, you can do, have a good good deal uh, and take advantage of it now. But uh, this Christmas, I wouldn't do it. Uh, it just uh, it's just too dangerous, and there's going to be too much COVID around. Even if I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe yesterday I saw a cruise line ad for the first time, and they were like, "Break free! We've all waited so long." I'm like, "Oh my god, oh, that's yeah, really what I want to do is get on a floating petri dish right now." You know? <laughs> god. Yeah, a, a year from now, okay. The, the only thing I'd have to worry about get is coronavirus, right? Get both doses of your vaccine, and and you can and you'll be home free. Uh, but yeah. but until then, just be really careful. Yeah, you, <laughs> might, you, might there get, you might still get food poisoning or a hangover, but that'd be <laughs> it, right? So <laughs> those we have backstops for. Not the COVID is not quite yet, but we're getting there. All right, we just got a minute or two left. Anything you want to close with, Fred? Yeah, uh, you know, I I think um, so. All the states are ha are going to have a big challenge with this. It's going to look pretty good as we start our as we start things off. Kind of uh, uh, December, January, mostly healthcare workers, most people in long term care facilities, and then that period, sort of February, March, April, May, that's going to be extremely challenging for the for the uh, states to manage. Uh, in June, we'll, I think we'll start to hit a, hit a little bit more of a rhythm, but we'll still be challenged. And then by September, hopefully most of us will uh, have at least access to a vaccine uh, and have one dose in us and, and hopefully on the next on, on, the, on, the, on the road to the next dose. If we do that, we could hit herd immunity by the end of next year, which would be fabulous. So once again, your dog is going to be eating well at Christmas time, right? <laughs> yeah, we had a 16-pound turkey, and she is so happy. She just can't get over herself. She's like, oh, this is the best, the best Thanksgiving ever. Best Thanksgiving ever, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so it could be thanks a lot for the idea. Give the give the website. Give your website one last time. Oh, yeah, it doesn't sound like you need any, any more business right now. But you know. no, it's not. I do it for. I do most of this for free. So you know, I'm just trying yeah. to help out till we get get around the corner, and then I'll then I'll move on to more <laughs> to back, back more profitable business. endeavors. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, but my my website's fredbrown.com. Feel free to visit anytime. I've got all of your material up there. We've got you know other kinds of thoughts that I've had and questions I've answered. So just go go through it. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, drop them off and I'll be happy to uh, answer them. All, all right. right. Thanks very much, Fred Brown and all of our guests today on the M Squared TechCast. We'll be back again next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, God willing, with another edition of the M Squared TechCast. And Fred, we'd like to have you back next week if that's okay. Absolutely. Love to come back. Hopefully I have better news. <laughs> all right. So for right now, it's Matt Roush. And Mike Brennan. And you've been watching the M-Squared TechCast here at PodcastDetroit.com. Thanks for listening to M-Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest